push the button. Tell me when you're ready. I'm ready. Okay. The Standing Orders Podcast. So welcome to this fourth edition of the Standing Orders Podcast by Politis with me, Dr. Thomas Foreman, and my co-host, Councillor Sue Lorne. Good morning, Councillor. Good morning, Thomas. How are you this fine morning? I'm very well, and how are you? Fine, thank you very much. Is the sun shining? No, it's not. It's been grey and miserable for quite a few days now, and it's starting to get depressing. Well, To uh, think that we have to get through this winter with dark grey clouds is going to be pretty hard. Well, get used to it, Councillor. I don't think the sunshine's coming back anytime soon. We live in hope. And talking of grey clouds on the horizon, uh, today's topic is very much a grey cloud on the horizon, which is the cost of living crisis and the impact that it's going to have on communities, really not only uh, in England and Wales, but in the whole of the United Kingdom, in Europe and pretty much globally at the moment. It's become such a topic of conversation, no matter where you are. Um how are things looking for you, Councillor? I think for everybody is is a really worrying time. I think that um, you know, as much as we prepare for the bills coming in, and um, you know, you think that you've budgeted well, whenever something like the increases that have been coming through uh, for the past year really is not necessarily just because of the energy crisis. Uh, since COVID, um, the the prices have just gone sky high on a lot of things, and um, you know it's it's fine. You no, know, I'm just me and my partner. But for families of um, you know with little ones, that you have a lot more to provide for them, it's a really worrying time. Yes, yeah, I mean you know I was I was talking to someone only a couple of days ago, and they were saying that they're getting. Uh, their kids used to wearing onesies because they're going to be wearing them a lot during uh, during winter because they're not going to be putting the heating on as much as they used to. And so the work of, you know, public bodies and the work of local councils to try and kind of help with this and try and support residents through uh, this difficult time is going to be even more important. And I think some of the stuff that we're going to talk about today, perhaps we're going to have differing views on, Councillor. No doubt, Thomas. <laughs> So I think one of the main kind of things for me, I guess, is to say from the outset, you know, I think the cost of living crisis has done more to make people think about home insulation and everything else far more than Extinction Rebellion or Insulate Britain closing down the M25 and shutting down bridges in London ever could. Because I think once people start seeing it, pounds and pence in their pocket, then that's going to make a huge difference to how people spend and, and how people live. And, you know, just, I find it really frustrating. Um, and, you know, I have no issue with governments of the day making packages available. I just wish that in a way, a more tailored package had come across, which at least then uh, supported insulating homes, as opposed to just capping energy costs. Because ultimately, energy costs are always going to be higher for houses that aren't insulated properly. And so by investing more in that early on is going to actually make people's long-term financial position an awful lot stronger. But that's just, you know, an, a completely non-political but slightly narked comment about kind of where we find ourselves. 
but and and I I I agree with you. Um, you know, hold on. Sorry, sorry. Just (laughs) just say that one again. (laughs) Let me just turn the feed up just so I get it clearly. On the fourth podcast that we agreed. No, I I I totally agree with you that it's made everybody more aware of what um you know what energy we're wasting. Um, you know, as I said in the last chat, that I think this is a wake up call for all of us. And um, I think that, you know, we this winter, we will sit down and think about is that does that light bulb need to be on? Do we need to to, to cook, you know, how we how we've been doing it previously? Um, Why well, have you been cooking previously compared to how you're going to be cooking now? Well, well without would... gas, <laughs> without electricity. <laughs> When I was little, we used to toast things on the open fire. And that was a very long time ago. But but no, I would probably have turned the, the oven on maybe 15, 20 minutes before I was going to put the, the food, you know, the meat in the oven to warm it up. I don't think that it. whenever they say it should be a warm oven, I don't think maybe 20 minutes is, is necessarily the length of time it needs to be. It just needs to be a warm oven. And, and you know, it's, it's it's little things like that. We're we're wasting, um, you know, kettles again. You know, I used to fill the kettle up in the morning, and then I just keep pushing the button, boiling the kettle, and pushing the button, boiling. There it. were people now, just across the country screaming at you that you're the cause of the energy crisis. Yeah, I, I, I was. <laughs> Not anymore. But I've seen the light. <laughs> I've seen the light now. The light bulb has switched on. And it literally, well, I, now, I hope it's an energy saving one, Councillor. <laughs> everything is energy saving in this house now. So it's, I literally boil the kettle for, um, you know, for that one or two cups of tea that we need. And uh, I was speaking to a lady a couple of weeks ago and, and she was, I, Kevin probably has about three or four cups of tea in the morning. I have a coffee and I have tea and that's it. That's what, that's what I do. Um, and this lady was telling me that throughout the day, her and her husband probably had about 20 to 30 cups of tea between the two of them. Really? And yeah. And so what she she then realized it was costing them. Um, I can't remember the figure, but it was costing them a lot of money. They realized that by boiling the kettle up the way they were. Oh, yeah. And the cost of tea bags and the microplastics <laughs> that go along with tea but bags. We're just, we're just talking about energy at the moment, Thomas. And uh, so anyway, what she did was that she would boil the kettle up in the morning and then she'd put the water into two flasks. And then that was it. They would use those flasks throughout the day. And I thought that was an excellent idea. The other thing that... Uh, and this is our energy um, um, saving tips. You're that, like Martin Lewis, aren't you? <laughs> well, I've learned a lot. He's learned a lot from me, actually. So, um, so, and the other thing as well is whenever I put the dishwasher on, and I don't put the dishwasher on every day, uh, but whenever I put the dishwasher on, I would put it to either the fastest, um, the quickest wash or the longest wash. There was always the eco button in the middle. You know, I've used the eco button in the last couple of days and it went from like a wash that took an hour to four hours and 20 minutes on an eco wash. How can four hours and 20 minutes be an eco eco. wash? But it is because I've got... Oh, well, okay. Well, that's explained it to me. (laughs) (laughs) I've got a little smart meter. So whenever you put anything on that is going to, to eat up the energy a little red light comes up. If I put the dishwasher on, on the, um, 
the fast wash or the long wash or the you know the the hot wash it literally the red light comes up put it on an eco wash and the red light doesn't come on at all really so i don't understand it we need someone to tell us how that's working that way but it's true it it doesn't take up it works for three hours but it doesn't take up the energy that it would do if you have it on the other two settings. So, and again, so we're all learning something every day, aren't we? About I mean, how in in the past seven minutes, I've learned so much you wouldn't believe. Stick with me, Thomas, <laughs> and I'll teach you so much. <laughs> well, that's an offer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but no, and again, Liz, as with everything, we have a laugh and a giggle about these things. But for some people, it's a really for the elderly. Um, you know, and again, when you think you were just saying about houses being insulated and, um, you know, most of them are living in fairly old little bungalows or houses that they've been in all their lives and haven't got the insulation that is necessary to keep them warm this this winter. And a lot of, you know, and some people live in in larger houses and are actually in poverty. Um, And it's just houses that perhaps, you know, they lived in as a family and then, you know, one spouse has died and the other one is left in this yeah. large house and they want to stay there. And actually, you know, they're normally not very energy efficient. You know, the the, the cost of living has escalated to such an extent that it's actually making life really difficult. And this was difficult. You know, I looked at cost of living, you know, a few years ago now um, when I was working at uh, when I was working at Cardiff. And it was one of the big things then about people, even in affluent areas actually being in poverty and it being about not necessarily forcing people to move out of the houses that they know and love to move somewhere else because actually these homes need to be insulated and I think you know a bit of personal responsibility is always important in things and my hope is that people don't see there's an energy cap coming and so therefore we we don't need to be as aware because actually a lot of the stuff you're saying in terms of what we can do day to day to try and reduce our impact is actually going to pay dividends in the long term as well. This isn't going to be going away. And I, I fear that the pot of money that is currently available to try and mitigate it will eventually run out and there are still going to be difficult choices. And it, it reminds me a bit in a way of, of how local government funding was working at one time in Wales where the Welsh government was kind of shielding some of the councils in Wales from uh, what were the Westminster cuts in um, in local government. And it was actually by shielding Welsh councils was then making it even harder and even tougher, at least in my opinion, for them to then make the cuts when that shielding ran out and that funding wasn't available. And actually then they had to cut far deeper and far faster than perhaps they would have needed to otherwise. But, you know, that's just, you know, a a side topic. And again, you know, coming back on to cost of living, I, I think that there are... There are things that we as councils can do more of. And I think there are things that we can do kind of better as well. And, you know, my thoughts really on on district heating. And I think we need to have, you know, really serious conversations about, you know, what, what we want to do in the future. And I think looking at options like district heating and looking at options about how we provide that heat And I know that people get squeamish when I say, you know, I think places that have crematoria should link them to district heating systems to stop cooling towers being needed to actually, you know, 
get the energy that would otherwise be wasted and feed it back into heating homes at much lower cost than people would be getting at the moment anywhere else. And it would also mean that crematoria, which rely on things like gas, which at the moment is expensive, would then be able to, you know, get some return on the heat that they're expelling. And that would then prevent crematoriums from needing to increase their cost to families that that use their services. And I think... We're all, I mean, I looked at this when I worked at Cardiff and they had already been looking at it for a couple of years when I got there. Um, and people either think this is a really, really good idea or otherwise think this is such a bad idea that we're using uh, heat from crematorium to keep people's houses warm. But I think we just need to be less squeamish. We We just need oh. to think actually, you know... Uh, we, 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 and I just tell everybody, we have had this conversation previously. And I'm sitting here, if anybody could see me with my mouth open, thinking, I can't believe that he's just said that in public. But it is, I, it's, it's just something that I could never, ever think of. Or, um, I mean, what would you do if it, if it happened and the district heating system was linked up to the local crematorium? And, and equally, Towns and parishes have powers under the 1902 Act to provide a crematorium. So why wouldn't towns, parishes, you know, these communities be thinking, well, actually, this could be a solution. You know, burials are going down and people using crematoriums are going up. Yes, and I, I totally I, I totally understand where you're coming from. But if this ever got set up, I wouldn't want to know about it. I don't think that I think that is is something that you just um, gosh you, you go to a funeral you walk away from the crematorium and you think yeah that's now going to um, to heat up a house or or do something no I just don't, don't that, you think you know I mean no. I I, I plan don't. on being I plan on being frozen because I would like to come back in the future if they could cure me, fantastic. And then I can continue doing this forevermore. Um, but I think, you know, generally, you, you go to a crematorium. I don't know about you, but I always leave. And I always think, you know, that that's kind of, it's it's such a waste having all that heat there and it just not being used for any purpose other than disposing of, of you know, Disposal of, of, of say it Go corpses, <laughs> yeah. um, but no, it's I, and I I understand I really do, and it is something that is running probably oh, twelve Denmark, fourteen hours. You know, Denmark is a country a that's doing it. You know, and they had because do they? yeah, and you know there, there were I think there was a, a kind of an agreement in the nineteen twenties that came around to say what you can and can't use like crematoriums for and there was something about you know using crematoriums for wider benefit needs to be looked at etc um and actually back then this was never going to be possible like district heating systems the technology wasn't there the thought wasn't there but you know they had a full debate on it i think in uh, in denmark and, and a lot of european countries and they said actually it's ethical it is heat that is otherwise going to be wasted and if you can repurpose that heat to, to lower people's bills, to, to therefore decrease the reliance on, on other forms of energy and be more environmentally friendly, then that's something that should be explored. And I mean, to be fair, you know, the British government, pretty late to the game, but in 2001 did a report on alternative uses of energy. And um, in fact, I think it was called um, 
opportunity areas for district heating, which said, you know, crematoria would provide high quality sources of fuel, which, you know, isn't what everyone wants to hear. But I seem to remember when I was at Cardiff, that actually the people leaving and the families weren't necessarily the ones that were having the biggest issue with it. It was more just a general wider public comprehension of what this would mean for them. And I mean, ultimately, Cardiff, I think, went to uh, to district heating or looking at district heating with the waste incinerators instead of using crematoria, which, again, is another option. Um, you know, talk about sweetening the deal a bit for those people that don't want waste incinerators in their back garden. You know, if you get a waste incinerator in your town or in your village or in your county, you may end up with district heating as a benefit. And so actually, then it isn't all about the fumes going into the atmosphere, because actually... A lot of it will be used to be recaptured and uh, stored underground and then used in district heating. There, that's no, my soapbox. I... <laughs> <laughs> and I can't think that I've ever walked away from a crematorium thinking, um, you know, what's going to happen with all that heat that's that's going to go out of there. But no, it's... Again, you need to I... be more environmentally friendly in your thinking, yes. Councillor. Yes, I, I bet I, you, I totally... you left that crematorium, you got in your ice vehicle... And uh, you turned the engine, got the diesel coming through and drove off, not thinking about the environmental impact. It's not diesel anymore, it's petrol. But <laughs> it's, um, no, and I, I, I get it, I really do. But I think it's, it's the whole thing in this country that we don't, we don't like talking about death or what happens, um, you know, whenever we lose someone and, and, so it's, it's better that we don't talk about it. So whenever you bring up the subject of using crematoriums to heat, um, you know, to provide heat for however many residents are in the area, then it just to me is just a, a huge no, no. And it's not something that we should that we should ever take on. I don't know. Is it sacrilege or something? I mean, would you rather you know, see that... people cold in their homes, unable to heat them? No, of course not. And if it was me, if I was not that I'm going to go to a crematorium or a grave, um, I think that it's. So, uh, where were you, you planning know, on going then? <laughs> just want to be a hole in the wall. Um, and I think um, that it's. Um, I'm sure Kevin can help you with that if you. <laughs> he probably will one day very soon and it's um you know so it's it's just it's it's just such a you know to me it's a sacrilege thing to do you know to to discuss what what that um that member of your family who you've lost and I mean, what, you're still going, going to get to the ashes. You'll still get everything about the person that you would originally get. It's just that heat during the process is then captured and used yeah. for a purpose, which, which, you know, I think it is of much wider benefit. And, you know, to be yeah. honest, if, if that was what heat was being used for from a crematorium, I'd probably give it more thought. Yeah. Forget the cryo yeah. chamber. <laughs> just so that you could heat somebody's house. Yeah, I get that. But, um, I you know, think... when I'm cold, I'll keep you warm. How's that? <laughs> How's that for a slogan? You'll be, you'll be hot too. Um, yeah, so who do we take this up with? Do we take it up with the health minister or the environment minister? Um, I think that, uh, yeah, if, if you wanted to put it out there, perhaps we could ask for um, opinions from this podcast as to um, to what they think and, um, and, and feedback telling us whether 
they think that I think it would be as I think is a sacrilege thing to do or as you think that it's uh, totally environmentally friendly and we should go with it you see I would be more than happy to do that but I suspect more people are going to side with you so I'm just going to veto it and say no no. we're not doing that we're not seeking people's uh, opinions on this because actually I think the environmental argument is just so strong that to to put it out more widely to look at moral impacts I mean it, it just goes back to being Councillor, are you squeamish? Yes. <laughs> well, well, I'm squeamish thinking what's, what you're going to say next. No, don't. Don't say anything squeamish. No, no, that. no. I just mean, are you squeamish about, you know, what, what happens after death? I mean, you know, you can, we can kind of see why. Gosh. This was supposed to be oh, an uplifting conversation. Well, we'll get on to something oh, uplifting. Well, maybe. But I mean, it's it's one of those where... You know, in all honesty, I think it's almost our own our own fear of of kind of or our own. You know, we just don't like talking about death, and, and this that's is it. And, this and, is how... and I think we just get to that block, and then we think, I don't want to talk about it. And you can see why, considering this discussion was planned for last week, um, why we wouldn't want to run it. Because I think then it would have been in even more bad taste in in some people's views and i think actually the fact that some people may view it as bad taste is is part of the reason why things like this just never move forward and why councils look at it and and councils across england have looked at it and then back away very slowly because there's always you know good kickback from the public to say we don't want this whereas actually i think most people wouldn't even notice you don't notice anything different about the crematorium I mean, I, I don't think anyone knows what kind, kind of burners or anything or even what kind no. of fuel at times people Again, use in, no, in crematoriums. Because, because we don't talk about it. We don't, I don't want to know. Um, and, and as a, you know, I, I think that you're, you're totally right. We now are in a situation. So is that twice where... in one podcast? <laughs> <laughs> I think that we are now in a situation where we have got to find energy from other sources. And, um, and I think that uh, it's, you know, if, if the government were to look into it and decide, you know, this was an appropriate thing to do, it would probably get a lot more uh, people saying yes, that they're, they're happy to go with it than what they would have done 10 years ago. Well, um, I think, to be honest, even six months ago, I think people yeah. now with the cost of living crisis coming on yeah. are probably thinking we can't do this. And in a way, I, I think of it the same, you know, I'm not saying I'm a big advocate for nuclear, but actually you know, that can was kicked down the road to such an extent that now we've kind of just had one announced by government. And you think, you know, this is going to be years before this is going to come through. And in the meantime, people are suffering from huge energy costs and huge costs of living. You know, it's not just energy, it's cost of food, it's water, it's everything else. And, you know, we've already covered water. So now it's energy's turn. Um, But, you know, it's just... It's so frustrating that we seem to be just behind the game on some things so much. But don't you don't you find that's the situation with quite a lot of things that we're, we're trying to progress on and government, no matter which government it is, they've got to just, you know, it, it takes years and years and years of discussion. Of course it does. Sizewell C, for heaven's sake, has been talked about for 10, 15 years yeah. And now we've got an announcement in August to say, oh, yeah, it's, it's going to go ahead. And um, I mean, it's the same. How as, long is it going to take? You know, I, I think the same about, you know, we're in Ireland. You know, 
desalination plants for, for more water, you know, that should be a basic for us. And yet I think the one that we had shut down during the drought yeah. period, you know, because of maintenance. And, and that's what happens when you just have one and you just think, well, other countries managed to have multiple desalination units. Why aren't we having the same? Why aren't we doing more? Why aren't we looking at tidal? Why aren't we looking at, you know, yeah. doing this? And in Wales, again, you know, one of the things I looked at was tidal power and whether some kind of barrage put across in Cardiff Bay would be a good idea and the cost implications, etc. But it just seems, you know, basically when we when we want something, um, you know, it, it's an issue of funding. But actually, when other priorities come along, which is far more aligned to what the government would like to see, then suddenly funding could be made available. Yeah. And it's not, I, I, you know, I will say it's not this government that I'm necessarily talking about. It's successive <laughs> governments that have been coming through. I, I would say, you know, in living memory, there have been big decisions that have been put off that are now kind of that the we are all living with as a consequence this is it so uh, and it and it is that's that's totally it it's nobody's prepared to make that commitment and again they're on a four or five year um basis these government you know turnaround governments and they say they make the announcements and yet yeah, we're going to go with this and this is something that's going to happen but nobody's prepared to stand up and say okay and i know that the the quotes that have gone out for you know the um procurement for for size well see and i know a, a few people um that um, any goss uh, any sorry? goss any goss no 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 but i know and and again you know it's it's uh but whenever it comes to something that is either local government or or the government is is always the prices will go sky high and then the quotes all come in you take years to get the quotes in they come in and then as soon as you put a spade in the ground sorry but that price has got to go up now and you just it's, it's just a frustrating situation i think that we need to understand that i will say i do a, remember a, a building project that i uh, that i managed that came in twenty thousand pounds under budget just uh, yes you did you did good on that <laughs> yes it was and and again but again you know is is putting the right people in charge to say you know hang on a minute why why are you giving us this cost what's the justification for i know that's what the procurement system is for but sometimes that doesn't do us any favors and I think as as a country and as an island, we need to start seeing the bigger picture. We need to see things moving much faster. But Yeah, I mean, I, I do have my own issues with, you know, procurement. I think procurement is a wonderful thing in many ways. But actually, you know, there are real bottlenecks with it, yeah. which cause issues. And to be honest, I think everything that happened and again you know not to touch too much on national stuff but the whole stuff with procurement during the pandemic i yes. think showed that actually you know a backup system or a better system of procurement for yeah. these times to be agile there is no reason why you shouldn't have an agile procurement system and i think you know looking at improving that then that might be one of the one of the only key benefits that we have from um, from being able to make our own procurement rules. Yeah, most definitely. Wow, we're agreeing again. Literally, this <laughs> podcast has become my favourite one on such a dull kind of sad topic. <laughs> um, but wow. I'm just getting agreement left, right and centre. 
I know. It's it's probably the time of the day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still asleep, so we're okay. But I think, you know, for, for you know, day to day for for town and parish councils, um, it's gonna be a lot about signposting over the next few months, about trying to provide the support in a way that, you know, people will be able to access it, people know where to go. And actually we help identify people that, that may be in need. And, you know, I think, I mean, we do work with SEND provision. So, you know, families yeah. with children with disabilities, um, you know, we provide outdoor and indoor space for them free of charge for them to be able to kind of basically run and let off steam in a safe environment without worrying about dogs, without worrying about people, without worrying about anything else. And, you know, we also do stuff for people with dementia and we provide that on a, a pretty much a weekly basis um, now. And, you know, luncheon clubs, stuff like that. And we're looking at warm yeah. rooms, which will enable people to come in and get warm and have a cuppa and hopefully do bits and pieces. But, um, you know, what are your thoughts about what councils can do, councillor? I think as a council, um, we have got a responsibility to uh to guide residents i don't think that um you know it's we as a as a council as a town council or district council um i i don't think that we have um the specialist advice that's needed uh whenever it comes to energy costs or debt uh, related issues um but i think as you say is our place to, to guide people in the right direction and um you know, as a as a town council, that's what we can do. As a district council, unless it's something uh, in relation to um, the council tax or any other paid services, again, they can't necessarily um, advise you on anything other than I mean, those. The, the early help but, hub that's at uh, at Broadland. I mean, that yeah. helps with a lot of things yes. related to benefits and you know benefit payments, housing standards, and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But um, and, and again, they will advise you for anything that, that doesn't come under their remit to go to citizens advice. And as a town council, I think that um, in um, one of our small, comfortable rooms, we have offered that to citizens advice and um, to the um, uh, various other charities who, who might be able um, to help the residents with any queries that they've got. And again, not just um, necessarily uh, financial, but um, I think is it um, age concern as well? We, we've offered that to them. So um, I think maybe now would be the time to approach them again and, and say, would they would they like uh, to, to use our rooms just for a couple of hours in, in a week or in, in a fortnight, monthly or whatever? just so that they're they're there um and the other thing that i just want to say is um as a town mayor i have um i i last year i i chose a charity and this year we've got another charity and it's norfolk community law service and that's my town mayor charity for 22 23 and they provide a free independent and confidential advice for people in norfolk who can't afford access to to justice but they also give advice on money and debt uh, for vulnerable clients. So that will be on our website, um, you know, for, for people to, to go to if, if they need. But, A nice um, free of charge plug there for you. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but it is, you know, it's, it's important that we, we make people aware that, you know, there are so many uh, doors that they can open 
uh, that will help them. It's um, and again, if if we put something out there this winter for anybody who um, who needs help and, and advice, that we we can make sure that they know that as a town council, we can do that. Forward them on to um, absolutely, and I think um, one of the things I'm I'm like I'm. I think one of my biggest concerns as well is the impact that it's going to have on an already struggling hospitality industry as well, because increasingly people are going to be thinking, you know, we'll stay in, we'll, um, we'll save money, which is, which okay, is yeah. great. But actually, you know, you look at hospitality industries and how they've suffered over the past few years and they were just getting back on their feet and actually a poor winter period is going to really hit them as well. And they're going to be having increased energy costs. They're going to be employing local people, paying them money to, to, you know, to fund their own household bills. And I think, you know, as a council, one of the things that we'll be doing as well as, you know, we have a mobile app, we'll be pushing out there the offers that local businesses have, you know, the two for one meals, the buy this and get 50% off and the specials that happen on like Tuesdays, on Thursdays, on the quieter days of the week, you know, and I think it's about trying to also support those local businesses. And I mean, you've spearheaded the Made in Thorpe initiative, uh, councillor, which has given the opportunity for people to kind of promote their businesses in the town. And I, I guess, you know, that's something that we'll be pushing forward with as well. This is it. It's, and again, you know, we're not there just to help the residents who um, who, who need advice. It's for the small businesses too. Um, and as I've said, you know, when we were talking about the planning situation, it's fine, um, you know, the, the, the larger companies will probably get through. Um, and now that we've had all the caps as well put onto the energy energy um, crisis, uh, but it's, um, you know, going out for a meal where we would have probably done it twice a month, something like that. Probably now it would be special occasions um, when people will, will go out as opposed to, and will special occasions be enough? to keep hotels and restaurants um, going throughout throughout this winter. I mean, Again, it's- I'm going to make a pledge that at least once a month, I'm going to go out to a local pub and I'm going to rotate it round so that I hit. In fact, I will say once a week, I will go out for the next few months. So forget once a month, once a week, I will go out for a meal. Yeah, we, we, I was talking about hotels and, and restaurants going down the pub. We'll do that every day. <laughs> <laughs> but again, you know, and again, whenever you 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 sit and you you work it out. So as you said, you know, with some of the the restaurants that are around, it's much cheaper for you to go to that restaurant than it is for uh, you to cook at home. I mean, yeah, you um, see your red light on the uh, on your smart meter. Um, you know, you, well, yeah. Let let me say this again. Sorry. You'll see your red light on your smart meter as soon as you stick on that oven. And think, that's a silly thing to do. Let's go down the pub. <laughs> and and I, I, I think, you know, increasingly businesses are going to be looking at ways that they can try and, you know, support people and try and do it. And we saw a huge amount of that during COVID of, of local businesses trying to support local people. And long may that continue. And I think 
in turn, it will be for local people to then turn out and support local businesses. Yeah. And I think it will also be for councils to, to signpost them of what's available, what what's on offer, where's a good place to go, and apologies for the traffic noise in the background. You're okay, I can't hear it. Which I guess is probably, therefore, a good time for us to uh, to finish. Unless, Councillor, you had something on your list you wanted to add. No, no, I've, um, I think that we've, we've covered everything. Um, and again, it's, it's been a pretty serious um, conversation, but it's... It is a serious pretty serious, time. absolutely. Thank you for listening to the Standing Orders podcast by Politis. Please like and subscribe to get your weekly edition. You can suggest topics by emailing podcast at politisconsulting.co.uk. See you next week. I do have a dog in the house this time. Last time it was my neighbour's dog. This time there is a dog. It's actually your dog. And and, and actually, well, it's not my dog. but um, It is. (laughs) It's a family dog. But you um, you can hear it chewing in the background.